How He Loves Us. I love that song. Of course, He showed His love for us most clearly on the cross, dying for us in our place as our substitute for our sin, not His own, so that we could be made right with God. Unbelievable love. And author John Stott, in his book, The Cross of Christ, says, when we look at the cross, we should think of three things. Number one, we should think of the love of God, because he sacrificed his son for us. Number two, we should think of the gravity of our sin, because it took the cross to pay for it. And number three, we should think about the gift of Jesus Christ, because it's by his grace we're saved. Amen? I love that because it happens to fit perfectly with the titles for the next three weeks. We're going to be studying very in-depth at just five verses over the next three weeks in Romans chapter 3. If you want, you can turn your Bibles there. I hope you have your Bibles and your pens ready to write. I know this little group of girls right here, they're ready to go, right? We're going to be studying Romans 3, 21 to 25 over the next three weeks. And the titles for these three weeks will be this. Today, we'll be talking about the righteousness of God. Next week, the sin of man. And the third week, the justification of Christ. So go ahead and turn with me, if you will, to Romans 3. And we do want to quickly, before we dive in here, just pray very quickly. Father, uh, we are under the authority of your word doesn't matter who stands in this place as long as your word rests on this music stand. We know that we are under it, and it's what we're listening for. So speak to us clearly today. Amen. Starting in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. A familiar verse probably. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Now, a little bit of background. The book of Romans was a letter Paul wrote to the Christian church in Rome, which was comprised of Jews and Gentiles. And if you read the book closely, you will see clearly there was some, uh, some problems going on in the diversity of this church. There was a problem going on between those who were Jews and those who were not. Maybe the Jews thought that they were better because, you know, they were God's chosen people and all of that. And they had the law from Moses. And the Gentiles, they didn't like that the Jews were making them feel bad. And they said, well, hey, we don't even have to listen to the law because we're not part of that group. And so there were some issues going on. And Paul was trying to uh, write to them to discuss some of this. They wanted, Paul wanted them to be united in Christ's grace instead of divided by this concept of who had the law and who didn't. Now, our passage that we're focusing on is a very familiar passage to many of you. Leon Morris, an author and, and theologian, he says, this may be one of the most important paragraphs ever written. 
as it mentions the righteousness of God, man's sin, and salvation which comes from Christ. The great reformer Martin Luther, he believed that this passage, these four verses, these five verses, to be a focal point not only of Romans but of the whole Bible. He called it the chief point. Now, before we get to our passage here, verses 21 and 25, leading up to this, Paul takes a lot of time and goes into detail about God's wrath, starting in verse 18 of chapter 1, going all the way to verse 20 in chapter 3. He says that God's wrath has now come on the ungodly or the unrighteous, and he takes a lot of time to let us know there's no hope for us, none at all. By the time we get finished with verse 20, we're ready to close the Bible and just walk off a ledge somewhere because we see that we are going to experience God's wrath. Why? Because he's mean. No, because we deserve it, because of our sin. Are you with me? See, this is important, though, that we know this, because you cannot become a Christian unless you understand your hopelessness. We don't come to Christ just because we want him to help us with some little problem we've got going on in our current situation in our life. We come to Christ only because we know that he is the only one that can make us right with God and move us from being condemned in front of God to being righteous before him. Does that make sense? So that's the only reason we come to Christ. So if there's no hope for us, all of these things that Paul says, then what? And Paul answers that question in two of the most wonderful words ever found in Scripture. Look with me. In verse 21, he says, but now, but now. Lloyd-Jones, an old preacher that I love to read, he says, there are no more wonderful words in the whole of Scripture than just these two words, but now. Despite all Paul has said up to this point about man, Jew or Greek, being a sinner, deserving the wrath of God, God has intervened with the words, but now. The question is, do you have a but now moment in your life? This is a really easy way to get over the, I'm not sure if I'm saved or not. See, when I say the words, but now, you either go, well, that doesn't mean anything to me, or you say, well, I love those two words, but now, because of all the things that I know are in my life, that has been in my life in the past, that is still in my life in the present, and I seem to have no hope to getting rid of all that junk in the future. But now, God has made a way. Amen. I hear those amens. See, sometimes the devil, he accuses us. He wants to say, well, you can't be a Christian because of all those things that you did in the past. You better do a lot of good to make up for that. Or he might say, you can't be a Christian because look at what you did yesterday. And so you either say, yeah, you're right, and you feel guilty. Or you say, yeah, you know what, devil, you're right. That stuff is there. It's the truth. But now. So that's how you know if you've been saved or yet or not. As we begin this series today, we're going to focus really closely just on two verses, verse 21 and 22. And here are the three things I want us to remember uh, when we leave today, okay? Number one, God has provided a righteousness. Number two, he promised it before. And number three, this righteousness becomes ours solely and completely by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, real quick, we have to say that what we're talking about when we say righteousness, I'm not talking about a characteristic of God, as in God is righteous. 
God is righteous, of course, but this righteousness we're talking about today is about one standing before God. So there are only two options for you. You are either condemned before God or you are righteous before God. There's no gray area. You're not somewhat condemned and somewhat righteous trying to hopefully get there before you die. You're either one or the other. And that's the kind of righteousness that we're talking about today. So point number one, God has provided the righteousness. It says, but now the righteousness of who? Of God has been manifested. This term, the righteousness of God, means it's provided by God. It was prepared by God. It's made available by God. God the Father is the planner and the initiator of the gospel. This is important. It seems like it's not, but it is, because we think of Jesus dying on the cross and that he did that. But this was God's plan to begin with, and that's important to note. Paul says this uh, in chapter 1, verse 1 of this book, Romans. It says, verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for what? The gospel of God. The gospel should always be thought of as God's gospel. It saves us from our biggest problem, which is sin. And, of course, sin is rebellion against who? God. So that's why this gospel is from God. God the Father sent Jesus. God the Father gave Jesus his task and it's God who so loved the world that he gave his only son. 1 Peter 3.18 says it this way, that for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might, what? Bring us to God. Jesus died not to glorify himself. He died to glorify the Father. And Jesus does not tell us to stop at him. Instead, he takes us to the Father and reconciles us with him. It's God's salvation. God has provided a righteousness, this right standing, a way that we can move from being condemned before him to being righteous in his sight. Number two is this. He promised it before as we go on in verse 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. I love the Bible, okay? If you know me very well, I love to read the Bible. I love to study the Bible. I like to get up early, and I want to know it as much as possible. And I love that we talk about this in our small group and with a group of guys that we, we do discipleship together, that, that the Bible is unlike any other book. Unbelievable that 40-something guys wrote this thing in different languages, on different continents, at different times, and yet there's this one theme that runs through the whole thing. There's a unity to the Bible. The only way that could happen is if it was some way divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is God's Word written to us. That's the only way that could happen. And sometimes we think of Bible, if we grew up in church, especially going to Sunday school, we, we hear this story, and the next week this story, and the next week that story, and, or if we read our daily devotionals, we, we turn, and one day it's, it's Jonah and the whale, and the next day it's the woman at the whale, and then we need a page to tell us these are two different whales, and then nothing explains to us, <laughs> nothing explains to us that they're, that how they fit into the overall big arching narrative story of God where Jesus is the hero of the whole book. He's the hero of the whole book. The gospel was not God's backup plan. The gospel was not his way of correcting a mistake 
because he introduced the law to Moses. Paul says that the law, meaning the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, meaning the rest of the Old Testament, including the Psalms, bear witness to it. They talked about the gospel. We see it in Genesis 3 when, when it was promised that a seed from the woman would crush the serpent's head. All those ceremonial laws in Exodus and Leviticus that you think is so crazy to hear about all that, these sacrifices, sin offerings, peace offerings, what does it all mean if it's not pointing directly to Jesus and what he's done? And Psalm 22 is almost an incredible description of the crucifixion and death of our Lord Jesus. Psalm 22, way back in the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah all have prophecies of the gospel. Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, agrees with this. You, you might know if you've ever read Matthew, uh, if, if you started reading with us last year as we read through the New Testament, I know you got past Matthew 1.1, so this should be familiar no matter how far you got. Matthew 1.1 says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now this is interesting because in verse 2, Matthew goes on and lists Jesus' genealogy starting with Abraham and includes David in that list. So if Abraham and David are in this long list of names that he's included, why did he single out Abraham and David in verse 1 like that? See, I think Matthew wanted his readers to know that Jesus was the promised one. Look at Genesis chapter 12 real quickly. This is, this is God making a covenant with Abraham. Okay, Genesis chapter 12, all the way back, the first book of the Bible. Verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, listen to this, all the families of the world will be blessed. That's Genesis that's only 12 chapters into the whole book. And already God's plan was to bless just the Jews? No, the whole world. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now we've moved on past the law, into the prophets, into the story of the Old Testament and God's people. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a promise now, not to Abraham, but to David. And in verse 12 and 13, he says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers when you're dead... I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, your lineage, your line, your genealogy, and your, I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Does an earthly king reign forever? So who's he talking about? Jesus, the law, and the prophets bear witness to it. Everything that happened to Jesus had been predicted in the Old Testament. God promised it before. God promised it. We see that when we read the Bible and we understand that this is just one big book. And when we don't understand that, we have a really hard time reading through things of the Old Testament. But when we read the Old Testament and we see words like sacrifice and offering and bloodshed and all these things, if we don't immediately think to Jesus then we miss it. But if we do, it makes so much more sense to us. And we see his plan being fulfilled finally in Jesus and the gospel, a way to be made righteous with him. Number three, 
This righteousness becomes ours solely and completely by faith in Jesus Christ. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, now he goes on to finish what he was trying to say in verse 21, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For who? For all who believe, amen, for there is no distinction. That's Paul again trying to say, hey, look, it's not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles also. This is for all people. But what do they have to do to receive it? Believe. The righteousness of God, that change in our standing from condemned to righteous before God. Our salvation does not only mean the forgiveness of our sins. You understand that? That's a really good thing to be forgiven, but Paul's saying the main thing is that our status has been changed. You know, I know immediately you think of Facebook. You know, you update your status, single to in a relationship to married to not sure, still married, whatever it is. But with God, there's only two choices. You either are condemned or you are righteous. Lloyd-Jones says that the theme the apostle stresses is that we are given a positive righteousness. But now, he says, the righteousness of God. What man had been trying to produce, and especially the Jews, with a righteousness that would satisfy God. The Jews thought they were doing it through the law. And others thought they were doing it through morality or through their philosophy. Paul has proved that it was all vain. But now, he says, there is an entirely new position. A righteousness from God is available. That is the big thing in salvation, he says. Not merely that our sins are forgiven. That could never be enough. To have our sins forgiven does not of itself admit us to heaven. Before we can be admitted to heaven, we must be clothed with righteousness. So this question is then, how does this righteousness become ours? And the answer is solely and completely by faith in Jesus Christ. So what is faith in Jesus Christ? Faith is not just saying, I believe in God. I think that's important to know. Sometime in my lifetime, I've heard many people say, well, all you got to do to be saved is say, I believe in God. We know that in the Gospels, it says that the demons even believed in Jesus. They even worshipped him. They shuddered at his name. They held his name higher than any other name. They knew exactly who he was. But that wasn't enough. So what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? Faith in Jesus means to stop looking at ourselves. It means to, the only way that I can be made right with God, the only way I can be moved from being condemned before God to being righteous before God is to trust, have faith in Jesus' death on the cross to completely pay the price. That his work is better than any work I could ever do no matter how much time I was given on earth. If I could live to be a million years old, I could never do the work that Jesus did on the cross in order to make myself righteous with God. And it's apart from the law. Paul's saying we can no longer think of saving ourselves or achieving salvation by right living and morality. Now, this doesn't mean that the law is done away with. It's precisely Jesus that Jesus was able to keep the law perfectly that we can receive the fruit and results of what he's done. We can have God's righteousness because Christ has fulfilled the law perfectly. And that's the thing we can't do. We can't fulfill the law. No matter how good you think you are, you have sinned. 
I mean, we could barely go, you know, a couple of hours without making a mistake. Jesus lived his entire life in humanness perfectly, without any kind of mistakes, no sin, no giving in to any kind of temptation that he did experience, so that when he went to the cross, he would be the perfect spotless lamb, the only one that could then offer righteousness from God to us because of what he had done. So this righteousness comes to us by faith alone. Man with faith, a man with real faith, he no longer is looking at himself or to himself. He doesn't look at what he used to be or what he is now. He rests alone in that finished work of Jesus Christ. The man with faith doesn't say, yeah, I sinned, but I've done a lot of things over here that were really good to make up for that. He also doesn't say, well, yeah, I believe in God, but I got all this sin that's still in my life. There's this darkness, so I probably can't be a Christian. Both are wrong because both of those things are looking to the man himself for a salvation. Do you see how that works? Whether you're condemning yourself or trying to save yourself, neither one of them are good because you're looking to yourself for whether or not you're, for what your status is before God. That will not work. Again, Lloyd-Jones says it this way, faith makes a man say, yes, I have sinned grievously. I have lived a life of sin. I was a blasphemer. I was vile. There is scarcely a sin I have not committed, and I am aware of sin within me still yet. I know that I am a child of God because I am not resting on any righteousness of my own. My righteousness is in Jesus Christ, and God has put that to my account. The man does not look to himself at all. He looks only, utterly, and exclusively to the Lord Jesus Christ. My mom was a minister of music most of my life growing up. So I know, especially in our church family, we don't sing a lot of hymns, but I love hymns. Growing up, I could tell you the numbers of the hymns. Some of you say, yeah, I used to do that. One of my favorite hymns. It's called Just As I Am. Listen to the words. He says, just as I am without one plea. What does that mean? Without a plea. It means I'm coming to God without a plea. I'm not saying, oh, please accept me because of A, B, and C. No, I have no plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. The only thing that we can plea before God of our effort to get to him is not of our own effort. It's of what Jesus did. And that... His blood for me, that thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot. I'm not waiting until I fix my sin to come to him. Waiting not to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. Amen? Amen. Just as you are. We don't wait to to accomplish something. We don't wait to join a specific church. We don't wait until we've memorized a certain number of verses. We don't wait until we've given a specific amount of money. We don't wait until we've conquered a specific sin before we come to him because none of those things matter. Before God, everyone before Christ is in the same condition. We are condemned before him. We are deserving of his wrath. He is angry because of our sin. And we are all in that same position. But now, God has made a way for us to be made right with him again. 
through the death and the shedding of the blood of Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb, if we will have faith and trust in that act, then we can be saved and we can move our status from condemned to righteous. Human beings are born with a sinful nature. We're, we're corrupt from the inside out. You know that's true because you've, you've tried to stop sinning before and it hasn't worked, Right? You've, you've tried to, to be good and you be bad. You've tried to stop doing this and then the next day you're there again. How many times have we found ourselves face down saying, God, forgive me, take it away from me. I can't do it. And he says, no, you can't do it. That's why I had to give up my only son. You think I would have done that if I thought you guys could accomplish this yourself? Of course not. We're dead to God. We are driven by selfish desires, and because of this, God is angry. See, God is holy and just. When you read the Old Testament, you learn that about him. It's not that God was really mad and angry in the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament, he like flipped the switch. He's like, okay, I'm just going to be happy and loving. No, God has always been holy and just. Always, and he still is today. And if he's going to be true to himself, then he can only condemn us to his judgment. But see, God also loves us at the exact same time. He hates our sin, but he loves us. So what can he do? How can he be true to both his judgment and his love at the exact same time? And his answer is this. He's going to send his son, Jesus, his own dear son, into the world. Jesus is God in human life. He took on our sinful nature. He took on our temptations and our circumstances around us. And in living the perfect life and dying for the sin of the world, Jesus alone makes peace with God and humankind. There is no other way. Jesus knew this. He knew this was his task when he came to the earth. What did he say? He said, I am the way. I am the way. I am the way. There is no other way. He didn't say, I am the way. But there's also this guy down the road, and if you pay him a certain amount of money, he might also help you find the way. He didn't say anything like that. He didn't say there's this other book. He didn't say there's this video to watch. He didn't say there was this list of 10 great things, and if you accomplished all of them before you died, he said, I am the way. So my question for you today, as we are beginning this series have you had a but now moment yet? Has your status been changed with God from condemned to righteous? I want you to know that when you were born and came into this world, your status was condemned. There's no way around it. I don't care who your mom and dad were. I don't care what church you grew up in. I don't care if the day you came out, they sprinkled water on you or put a Bible in your hand. I don't care if you went to every youth camp from age 6th grade through 12th grade. It doesn't matter. So if you were sitting there thinking that, well, thankfully, I had a grandmother that did this, this, and this and prayed for me, so when I came out, I was saved already. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but that's not biblical. That's not what God's Word has to say. He says every person, all mankind, man, woman, chick, kid, everybody is condemned before God because of the corruptness from the core. However, but now... God has provided a righteousness of his own, and he has made a way. And it's a gift to who? To all who will believe in faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done. So if you've not had that change in your status yet, 
then I would ask you, what's holding you back? Because we've seen through the word that there's not anything that we should be trying to do before we do that. If you, if you were able to wipe out 10 of your sins between now and Saturday and then ask God to forgive you and trust in Jesus' act, you wouldn't be somehow better off than you are today asking him to do that. That's what he's saying. There's not anything we could do. The greatness of our sin is so great, and the greatness of our God and his holiness is so great that they divide that chasm, it can never be closed except for through Jesus. If you've had that but no moment, if you've had that moment where you have realized you've been on your face and say, God, there's nothing I can do. I realize I can't get there on my own, but I trust in you. I want to know you, and he has saved you, then praise God. But if not, then what are you waiting for? Over the next three weeks, we are going to know these five verses so well. My prayer is that as we, as we talk through this and study through it, that it's clear to us. If some of the greatest men in our church history have said that this is the chief point, that no more important paragraph has ever been written, they're trying to tell us this is one of the clearest explanations of the gospel. And Paul always said the gospel is the main thing. I'm going to keep it the main thing. I'm going to keep it the main thing. And no matter what conversation I have, I'm going to make sure I get to the gospel because it's the only way. Man, woman, everyone out there is doing their best to try to get from where they are to where God is. And they will fail 100% of the time. But now God has made a way, a righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Don't leave here this day without making that switch. Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking to yourself. You'll never accomplish it. And I know we got some really smart people in this room, but no matter who you are, you're gonna fall short, which will lead us into next week that all of us have. There's no way we can reach his glory. Make that decision today to turn your gaze away from yourself and turn it to the cross of Jesus. Let's pray. Holy and righteous God. We come to you humbly because of who we are and our sin, but we come to you boldly because of what you've done in Jesus. And you've made a way for us to, to come before you. And as you look at us, you see not our past sin, but if we've come in faith, you see Christ's righteousness when you look upon us. There's been a switch, a status change. Thank you for making a way when there was no way. Thank you for your word and how this, this unified book is teaching us that even in, in the book of Exodus, when your people got to the Red Sea and there was no way, you made a way. And in the same way as your people, the people you've created that you love, but yet you see our sin and we get to the point of our life where we say there is no way, you have made a way. Jesus is that way. He is the truth and he is the life and without him we are dead in our sin. Thank you for grace and for mercy. Father, thank you for your word. Make it clear to us, open it up to us. Show us what it means that we would not try to decide for 
uh, oh, this means this to me, and this means this to him and her, and diff- different things, but, but be clear to us about what you meant for your word to say. Teach us about who you are by revealing yourself to us through your word. May we consistently sit underneath its authority. Today, Father, I pray for any of those in this room that have not yet had that but now moment. They've, they, they have maybe understand their hopelessness or maybe they don't. I pray that if they don't, you would take them to that spot, that spot of feeling completely helpless before an almighty and, and perfect God, an all-powerful God, an all-knowing God, and that they would say, I'm dead in my sin before you. I deserve your wrath. But now I look to your son Jesus and what he's done, and I thank you that you've made a way to change me from condemned to righteous. Clothe me in your righteousness. May, may we be a people that are clothed in your righteousness, a light for all the world to see. Thank you for all that you've done. Jesus, we pray this all in your name. Amen.